0: Hey folks, this is Steve Bradley, God's Wordsmith, and today I want to talk to you about the final section of Matthew chapter 14, which I've titled, Water is for Walking, for reasons which I'm sure you'll see in a moment. Here is the text. Immediately, that is, after feeding the 5,000, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While well, he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberius, huge lake. It was tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, that means between 3 to 6 a.m., Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. They cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, Command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all that were sick, all who were sick, and begged him, that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Amazing passage. So here are some lessons from this passage. Now this is Jesus, one of Jesus' most interesting miracles, partly because it shows what complete control Jesus had over the laws of physics, partly because he temporarily gave Peter the ability to do what he was doing, and partly because the miracle demonstrates the necessity of believing him when he says to do something. So let's look at some of these lessons. The first thing is necessity. Now this not, might not appear to be the first lesson, but it is very important. Jesus ordinarily took a boat if he was crossing the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, which is the same thing. But this night, he needed to get across, and he had already sent the disciples away, and he didn't have a boat. God does miracles when they are needed. For example, if you want to eat, you should work. You should get a job. You cannot tell God, I'm living by faith now, so I won't bother with a job. And you know, a member of my congregation back in the day once did this. He decided he was just going to not go back to work, and he and his wife and family were going to quote-unquote live on faith. Well, that is not the Bible way, and he chose poorly. We're usually bound by the circumstances of the world in which we live and also the original commands of God, which include work. Similarly, Jesus normally obeyed the laws of physics unless he needed to change them. The second thing that that occurs to me here is the awareness that was given. The disciples knew Jesus was a man. That was obvious to them. He walked. He got tired. He ate. They ate with him. They made him food. Um, He He needed water to drink. He was and is a real man. However, when they began to know him, they were unable to grasp the scope of his deity. He is fully man, fully God, united in one person forever. And events like this, folks, taught them more, the disciples that is, taught the disciples more than any lecture or theology book. So here are some lessons regarding Peter. Peter is a series of lessons all his own, and I've heard lots of sermons about Peter's lack of faith and his impetuousness and all that. And I I have to tell you, I'm very impressed with Peter in this passage, even though Jesus very gently rebuked him. What's often missed is that Peter was a man of courage. Now, sometimes it got him in trouble, as it did here. The Lord had to rescue him. But there's a reason the Lord chose him to be the first man to preach after his resurrection and the descent of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2. It's Peter who gives that sermon, and Peter who knew that the kind of opposition that he might face could include his own death. Peter was also chosen to take the gospel to the Gentiles originally in Acts chapter 10 and God actually had to give him a vision and tell him to go to the Gentiles because Jews and Gentiles didn't mingle. It took a man of courage to do what Peter did because in so doing he was opposing all of the customs and mores of his own people. Peter was also a man of faith. He says to the Lord, Lord, if it's really you, tell uh, tell me to come to you. Now, you know, there were 12 disciples in that boat. And one stepped out. And if you never learn anything else in the spiritual life, this is a crucial lesson. In order to see God work, you must step out when he calls you to do so. Be sure it's him then give it your all. Peter's faith was the right kind, by the way. Uh, You know, there are all kinds of faith. There's the kind of faith like, Gideon here, make me certain that this is what you want me to do. And then there's the kind of faith that just kind of presumes on God's grace and his goodness. And sometimes that presumption can work, but most of the time it doesn't. So Peter waited for the Lord to tell him to walk on the water. Now, we sometimes assume God wants us to do something, and then we try to do it but fail. Why? Well, we didn't get our orders from him. Faith always comes as a result of the Lord telling us what to do. And, by the way, you might want to... um, By the way, you might want to read Hebrews chapter 11 because that makes it very clear that faith is a result of knowing what God wants you to do. So we believe based on his word and we believe based on his command to us personally and when he actually speaks in his word, we don't need additional commands if he's already told us what to do. So at the end of Matthew, in Matthew 28, the Lord tells all his disciples, and we know this, it's the Great Commission, to go make disciples. Therefore, we know that he commands his his disciples to evangelize and teach. What we don't know is our particular sphere of service. And he has to designate that for us. And God calls people individually to work for him. Uh, I, When I was in seminary, God called many of my friends to be missionaries. He didn't call me to do that. He called me to be a pastor and a Bible teacher. God calls you Individually, and you need to seek him until you know the specific area of service that he wants you in. So, what is he calling you to do? Well, seek him, find out, he will tell you. <clears throat> Now the disciples had a conclusion when Jesus got into the boat beside them. They said, you're the Son of God. It took a lot for a Jew to say this because many Jews believed that God didn't have children, didn't have a son. And more to the point, John chapter 5 verses 17 through 18 tells us that when Jesus called God his Father, It made the Pharisees furious because they knew that he was saying that he was equal with God. And that is what his disciples had in mind. And folks, this is what we would call a dawning realization as to who Jesus really is. The man who stood before them was much more. He was God and man in in a human body. So after the most interesting boat ride ever, the, day, the next day comes as no surprise. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. When the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all that were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Now this is kind of an advance on what Jesus normally did. Jesus normally had to personally take action for someone to be healed. He had to touch them, speak to them, so on and so forth. Now this is and this is not what he's usually done before. Here people just come to him and they touch his garment and so he's evidently given permission so that his cloak Becomes the touchstone that people touch and then they are healed. In other words, it occurs without his additional action. Here are some conclusions. And I want you to think about this for a second. Are you a Peter? Are you courageous, impulsive, full of desire to serve the Lord? Let me tell you, you can. He's the one who designates your sphere of service. And if you're a woman, it might be as a homemaker. It might be something else. You might be become a missionary. A Bible teacher. Whatever. Commit yourself fully to him. That is the first key. When you surrender your life to the Lord and say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want, he's going to tell you and then pray about how you will serve him. Uh, For example, see Acts chapter 13, verse 2, and also the context. Here's this group of guys in the church at Antioch, which is kind of like the first and biggest uh, Gentile church at the time. It says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now, Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In other words, there were several things happening here. One is the background. Paul and Barnabas were fully committed to the Lord. And two is the actions they took. They were ministering to the Lord. In other words, they were in prayer. They were seeking him. They were worshiping him. They were fasting. And that's when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. It's when you're in communication with him and not paying attention to a bunch of other stuff. You can hear from God as to what he wants you to do. And I pray that you will ask him because you can make the most important decision of your life in a moment of time like this. Second thing is, have you failed? You know, Peter really failed. He failed to believe what Jesus was telling him to do. Well, the Lord is always ready to lift you out of the water, so to speak, and get you back into the boat. Always. Failure is not final. Failure is not final unless you give up. Giving up is the only thing that's final. Please, folks, if you fail, if you have failed, if you are in a state of failure, go back, turn back, return to the Lord, repent, do what you have to do, confess your sins, Redirect your life in the way that it needs to go. You will not fail if you refuse to give up. The righteous man falls seven times, says the scripture, but he keeps getting up. Keep getting up. Don't give up. Never give up. And then finally, how do you see the Lord? Is he truly the Son of God to you? I hope so. I hope you see him as he really is. That's not hard to do, but it's hard to maintain. Because Satan has all kinds of things he wants to tell us about Jesus. And so you have to hold on very closely to the scriptures. My advice is... Let your perceptions of the Lord be guided by your experiences with him. Call to mind the things that he's done for you. That's what David did when he was in the midst of confusion and difficulty. And he talked about it in the Psalms. He remembers all the, all the wonderful things that God did. Even in these moments of trial and tribulation and difficulty, He remembered those things, and that brought him out of his depression and brought him into a place of praise. You see it over and over again in the Psalms. Above all, be guided by the scriptures that discuss the Lord Jesus. Read those. Make a habit of reading the four Gospels over and over and over. And he will personally guide you. Jesus said that when the Comforter has come, that is the Helper, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, when he's come, he will guide us into all truth. And folks, the Holy Spirit is here. You can have communication with him. You need to seek it. It's a matter for you to pray about. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, to baptize you, to communicate to you, and listen for him. And he will speak to you. He promises to do just that. Hope God blesses you today. This is Steve Bradley, God's Wordsmith, signing off, wishing you a very wonderful day, and a day filled with the experience of the Lord.